for our church, our families, our community, our nation. God is moving, amen, by His Spirit. Praise the Lord. I want to invite everyone to stand. We're going to open in prayer this morning. And we're going to go to the throne of grace. Hallelujah. We're going to worship God today. We're going to see God do some great things in the house of the Lord today. How many of you believe it? He's a mighty God. And He wants to move in a mighty way this morning. And I'm excited to see what God has in store for us. Amen? He's faithful no matter what season of life we're in. Hallelujah. God never changes. And we can put our faith and our trust in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come today to Your house to honor You, to worship You, Lord. And we come with a great expectation. And we come with grateful hearts today that we serve a mighty God, that we serve a faithful God, a living God, a powerful God, a mighty God. Lord, we love You today. We thank You, Lord, for Your presence today. Lord, as we lift our song to You, Lord God, we pray that You would move in our midst, Lord. That You would touch us today. That You would minister to needs today. That You would fill us afresh with Your presence, Your glory, Your anointing today. Have Your way in Jesus' name. Amen.
foundation of our faith, the foundation of our lives. We rest on you. We lean on you. We put our complete trust and confidence in your mighty arm. And therefore, we are safe. We are satisfied. We are ready to face every task of life. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're our strength and you're our shield. We thank you that we build on your unchanging word. Therefore, we build with a certainty. We build with a stability. We build knowing nothing can shake it, nothing can break it. For our lives are hidden in you. Now, Lord, speak to us. Teach us your ways. Take us to another place of knowing you better and loving you more. Bless your people. Refresh everyone that is weary. Fill everyone that is thirsty. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, God bless you. For the wonders of the past will not be able to compare with the wonders that lie ahead. For as you have seen me work in your life and come through in your life in some marvelous ways, I declare to you this day that what I'm going to do and what you shall experience and the answers you shall receive will far outshine even those things. For I am the Lord your God, not a God of merely yesterday. I am the God of the now. And I am the God who will continue to show myself strong in your life and through your faith and in answer to your cries. I will display my glory. I will show you my power. And the things that lie ahead will be even greater than the things you've experienced in the past. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And good to know the future is bright when Jesus is your Lord. Amen? From faith to faith and glory to glory. Some things wax old and get weaker, and and, you know, like our knees and our backs. But other things, the things of God, get sweeter and sweeter. Amen? As we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. So look ahead. Look ahead. The half hadn't been told yet. Look ahead. Amen? God is still on the throne and what He has in store for those that love Him. Woo! My Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Good morning again. If you have your Bibles, let's look Romans 15, verse 4, before we get into um, our Elijah text. We're in a series of sermons from the life of the prophet Elijah, but we want to give you one background verse just to teach us a little bit before we get going. Romans 15, verse 4, Paul writes, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope now. We're preaching from the life of Elijah, that great fiery prophet. And this is part two of a message we began last week, um, the God that raises the dead. But this week we're going to emphasize the prayer that Elijah prayed so we can talk, talk about principles of effective prayer. But we see in Romans 15 and 4 that teach us that the Old Testament stories were given for our instruction and our encouragement. 
They're just not old stories we learned in Sunday school. You know, they're stories that God says, I want you to learn and apply some of those truths today. When you read an Old Testament story, I'm going to teach you something for the now. So don't just put them off as something the little kids. So teaches us that those stories and those great exploits of faith are for our instruction and our encouragement. So as we dig into this story about Elijah, may we be encouraged by the acts of faith, but also educated by them. Help us, Lord, to, to learn from them so we can imitate them, so we can follow their example, and above all, so we can, hey, let's receive their result. Amen? I can handle that. And that's what he's talking about. Let's now go back to 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17 and our story of the life of Elijah, the God that raises the dead, starting with verse 17, chapter 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse, and then finally he stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin to kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied, and he took him from her and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord. There's going to underline that. Then he cried out to the Lord. Oh God, oh Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on that boy three times and he cried to the Lord, oh Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. He picked up the child, carried him down from the room, and gave him to his mother. Look, your son is alive. And she proclaimed, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. I want to talk about some Bible principles for effective prayer. Father, speak to us today and help us all to grow in our ability to receive answers, to be more effective in our prayer life. In Jesus' name. Elijah is known as a righteous man and as a man of prayer, powerful prayer, effective prayer. When we started preaching last week this story, we mentioned how Elijah had gone through various tests and um, he had endured the process of God's dealings and God's developments and God's preparation. And things pretty much were good and peaceful. There was provision, considering he's the most wanted man in a couple of kingdoms and God's hiding him out in Jezebel's home time. Things were pretty peaceful. But then we said another test came. Another test is always going to come. Don't let it get you down. Don't let it dissettle you or discourage you. The devil's a liar. In this world you shall have troubles. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Amen? And if you're with Him, so have you. So troubles are going to come. They're part of life. Don't let them get you down. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep leaning on those everlasting arms and keep walking in the victory. Can you say amen? The widow dies. The widow's son dies. And um, through that trial we saw last week, we saw how God worked in her life. God worked in her life. By the end of the story, she is trusting God like never before. She's confessing her allegiance to God like never before. But we also see how God is working through Elijah's life. How God used His servant like He wants to use you and I. 
And we studied last week, we talked about the consistency of His life and the compassion of His love and the capability of His Lord. And it's through our lives that God wants to show His glory in the earth. It's through our lives, those of us that know Him and love Him and walk with Him, that God wants to use us to raise the dead. And God wants to use us to bring hope. And God wants to use us to speak a word and by our prayers and by our faith, lift up those that have been broken down and defeated and are giving up on life. And this morning, I want to continue along the line of His prayer. Prayer. Let's look at the prayer of this man of God. Friends, there is a great need for men and women who know how to pray effectively, who really know how to get an answer from God. Elijah was such a man, and we can learn a lot from his prayer and a lot from his life. Now, we mark down as we begin that prayer is not a formula. Prayer is not a do this, do that, do that, boom. If that was that easy, all the seminars would be over because they'd learn the secret one time and then learn it. But that's not how prayer is. But in the Bible, you will find many, many principles and instructions and examples and promises to help us be more effective as we seek the Lord. Let's begin Bible principles for effective prayer. Number one, I just want you to notice very simply, Elijah's choice to pray. Elijah's choice to pray. He goes to his private secret place and he meets with God. The first step for effective prayer is making the choice, I'm going to pray. To really get away and get alone and get serious about calling upon God, about meeting with God. I mean, he could have responded differently. Many people do when trouble comes. Many people respond a whole lot differently. But like our Lord taught us, when you pray, get away. Get alone. Shut that door. Pray to your Father who sees it, and He will reward you, and He will answer you. Let's look at that. Matthew 6 and verse 6. These are the words of Jesus. He says, but when you pray, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, get alone in that room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what's done in secret. He doesn't miss it. He hears every cry. His heart is moved towards every need, and He recognizes and honors the faith and the faithfulness of His people. Then your Father, your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus said He'll reward you if you pray. He'll reward you if you get alone with the Father and call on God sincerely and seriously. So here we go. It's a time of trouble in Elijah response. He makes the choice. I'm going to cry out to God. I'm going to look to God. I'm going to lean on those arms. No time to speculate. No time to fall apart or get mad or get even or give up. In times of distress, in times of the bad report, in times when the enemy's attacking. How did David say it? He says, I go to the rock of my salvation. When my heart is overwhelmed, I go to that rock. I climb to a place that's higher than I. I call on the living God. I call Call on my heavenly Father who just happens to be the Almighty God. I cast my care. I give my burden. I lay hold of the horns of that altar and I give God the expression of my need and I articulate what I'm going through. Elijah didn't understand why and how come, but he knew what to do and he knew who to call upon in his moment of crisis. Friend, we ought to thank God continually that there is a place where we we can go. There is one that we can turn to. There is one whose ear is always open to our cry. We serve a God that says, if you'll just come boldly with confidence before my throne, I'll recognize the blood. I'll see the seal of my spirit. I'll know that you are one of mine and I will hear your cry and I will respond to your cry and I'll give you what you need to make it through. Can you say amen? 
It's good to have a secret place. Special time to meet with God. Make that appointment and keep it. If you want to make the most important appointment in your life, learn to meet daily with God. You see, consistency when it's calm readies us when it's crisis. You're more apt to choose to pray if you're a person of prayer. Consistent in the calm. More effective in the crisis. The greatest investment you can make is to develop a spiritual habit. It's a good habit of daily meeting with God. It will have a beneficial, positive effect on every area of your life, the rest of your life. It will affect generations. It will affect people 50 years after you're with Jesus. If you'll learn to pray daily, consistently, and seriously. If you'll learn to meet with God. If you'll learn how to walk with God in the calm when crisis comes, God won't be a foreigner. Prayer won't be a stranger. It'll be, it'll be a reflex. It'll be a natural thing. Oh, Lord. Isn't it terrible when you have to ask for a favor from someone you're estranged to? Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. A little embarrassed. Got, a, got humbled high there. You know what I mean? Last time you acted snooty around them, but now you need them for something. That's a terrible feeling. And it's terrible to feel that way with God. But if you walk with God and you learn to daily commune with God and you treat Him father and son and father and daughter, then when trouble comes, it's an easy thing to ask. Then when trouble comes, it's not hard at all to express your need and bring your burden. Can you say Amen. When crisis comes, then you're not a stranger and it's not unfamiliar. You're a son and you just know how to commune to your father. And we put on the end of this little thing, desire, discipline, and delight. I'll just make it simple. This starts with desire. The desire to want to have a prayer life and to want to please God and to want to walk with God. But desire is never enough. Then it demands a discipline. Like any good habit, any good habit, you mark it down, it could be a health habit, a mental, any good habit, doesn't just come because you want it to come. It comes as you work on it. And through some discipline, then it becomes a habit. You've got to do it again and again and make some changes and make some choices and, and practice some discipline. But if you'll do it after a while, it does become a habit. Then it becomes something that if you miss it, you know you missed it. Then it becomes a delight. from A desire has to become a discipline. But once you discipline yourself enough, it actually becomes a habit that is very natural and it's what you do and it's not hard to do and it becomes a delight to do and you miss it when you don't. Can you say amen? Number one, his choice to pray. And it's not just a choice to pray when things are bad. It's a choice to pray daily and commune and develop that relationship with the Lord. But secondly, when he prayed, notice he prayed fervently. He prayed fervently. You see in verses 20 and 21, he, he cried out to God. He cried out to God. He really called on God. This is important because there's no lip service in the prayer of Elijah. He cried out to the Lord and he stretched out upon the boy and upon the bed. And this is a passionate prayer, a sincere prayer. What we can call, it's a real battle prayer. There's different types of prayer, like there's different types of communication. But the fact is, serious situations demand some serious prayer. They demand some, I mean business devil. You know what I mean? This is war. You know what I mean? They mean some real serious prayer. And, and again, we see this throughout the Word of God. But notice, um, look at the PowerPoint here. Energetic and passionate praying, godly men and women have the power to accomplish much. What do you think about that? Energetic and passionate praying. When we pray with energy, we pray with passion and faith. Godliness has power to accomplish much. Now we glean that thought from James 5, 16 and 17. Let's look at that together. 
from the New King James Version. Again, here's James in the New Testament, and he's going to be writing about Elijah all these years later. He says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And here he says, The effective, fervent prayer. The fervent prayer. See that? Now, not just saying words, not just religious ritual. The Bible says, Fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman. You can't be living like hell and expect to have heaven jump when you have a problem. Let's be honest. Amen? A little honesty is always good in the church. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Verse 17 tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He wasn't a superman. He was just like you and just like me. He got upset. He got discouraged. He went through times. There were times he said, God, I quit. I want to give up. Just take me home. I've had enough of this. Amen? So he's just like us but he chose to live right and seek God with all his heart. Come on, that's, anyone can do that. Isn't that right? You don't have to know Greek, Hebrew, or Italian to make up your mind, I'm going to live right and I'm going to seek God. And that, the Bible says he was a man just like us, but he prayed earnestly. There was a fervency and an earnestness. He meant business when he prayed. I've seen people more earnest when, when you know, they, they can't get their two-for-one at Walmart than, than they do about going to the throne of God and really seeing an answer come to prayer. We've allowed a religious spirit to get in us. Everything's got to be quiet, decent, and order like the cemetery across the street. We bow down, do the sign of the cross, stand up. My friend, we have to stir ourselves up if we want to see some answers. If we want to see some real breakthroughs and serious situations, it takes more than a road and a ritual. The Bible says the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The Bible says this man of God who was just like us, he wasn't a superman, but he prayed earnestly, he prayed sincerely, he prayed with all of his heart, and God answered him, and God came through for him, and God will do the same for you. He is not a respecter of persons. And again, we're not talking about just carnal energy or being emotional or demonstrative, but there is something about a true spiritual intensity and seriousness and earnestness that makes a difference when we pray. In fact, the Bible, from cover to cover, we, we could spend weeks and go through every example of men and women of God. They didn't just say prayers, they prayed. They didn't just say a prayer. They really prayed in business when they called on God. There was um, the honor, the prayer that God would honor and answer. It was earnest. It was faith-filled. It was a prayer that Abraham prayed. It was a prayer that Moses... You remember Jabesh and Samuel. How about David and the prophets? The early church, they prayed wholeheartedly. The Lord Jesus Himself prayed with great anguish when He prayed, with an urgency and an earnestness. When they prayed, they cried out earnestly in urgency to the Lord, and the Lord heard them. They called on the Lord. And the Lord heard them, and the Lord answered them. And the Lord hasn't changed, friends, and what He did for them, He'll do for us. Let's do our part to seek Him. Let's do our part to really call on Him and mean business when we do. He chose to pray. And when he prayed, he prayed fervently. He prayed earnestly. He prayed seriously. Number three, when he prayed, he recognized the God's, the sovereignty of God in the situation that he was battling in. He recognized God's sovereignty. One way to really encourage your faith when you're praying and you're battling for something is to remind yourself of who it is you're praying to. To remind yourself that our God is a God that is sovereign. 
He has supreme authority. He's omnipotent. He rules over all things. He says here in verse 20, have you brought tragedy? Have you brought... He's recognizing, Lord, You're in control of all this. You rule, O God. Life and death are in Your hands, O God. You have not lost control. You will always have the last say. And the lesson for us is simply when we go to God in prayer and we lay our burdens before the Lord and bring Him our needs, our faith needs to be grounded, really settled, convinced in the greatness of God. Not in my ability to somehow move God or my ability to somehow believe something. My faith is grounded in the truth that my God does reign, that He is sovereign, that He can do anything. But sometimes our faith has to get readjusted. People are too busy looking at themselves. i got to believe, i got to believe, i got to believe. That's not it at all. It's lifting our eyes on Jesus. It's setting our focus and our faith on the One that can do all things. As the, as the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. In the midst of your hardships, in the midst of your heartache, God says don't look to yourself and don't look as somehow you can will yourself out of it, but look to Me and trust in Me and just be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted in your life and in your situation. I am God and there is none like unto Me and there's nothing too hard for Me. When you approach God and you're believing for something, don't look down within as if it's in here. It's in there. It's the One that's seated on the throne. It's the One that says, call on Me and I will answer you and I'll minister to you and I'll bring you through. That's the lesson here. The source of stronger faith, the source of confidence when we pray and when we do spiritual battle is by remembering who we are praying to. And it's fixing our eyes on the greatness and the majesty and the power of our God rather than the circumstances around me or the emotion within me. It's fixing my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. It's beholding the greatness and the power and the glory of my God. It's recognizing He is able and He is in control. He is ruling and He is sovereign. You know, one of the very last chapters of the entire Bible, Revelation 19, John says he he heard a crowd praising God with loud, loud voices. So loud that he describes it. It's like the mighty waves crashing and crashing. And the whole group in heaven is praising God as He finally defeats evil and He overthrows the enemy. And they're praising God with these words, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory unto Him. In the end of the days, we will praise God as He finally overthrows all evil. And the victory of victories is won. And we will praise Him for His sovereignty. And we will express gratitude towards His authority. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, He reigns not just then, but He reigns now. He reigns in your life. He reigns in your marriage. He reigns in your situation. And when you pray to the Lord who is your Father, you pray with a confidence, Lord, You are in control. You can change their heart. You can destroy this disease. Or You can just give me the grace I need to go through it and not miss a step. Can you say Amen? Oh, friend, if on that day we're going to praise Him for His sovereignty, maybe this day we ought to encourage ourselves with the truth. Our God reigns. Our God is in control. He is sovereign. And there's none like unto Him. 
Oh, hallelujah. My faith cannot be in my ability to believe. My faith cannot even be in the ability of my friends to stand with me. It's got to climb higher. It's got to reach deeper. My faith has to be settled in the fact I'm not calling on a would-be God. I'm not calling on a wannabe God. I call on the living God, the Creator of the heavens and earth, and He is able. He is able. He's able to bring that runaway home. He's able to destroy that disease. He's able to touch that heart. He's able to uproot that hole. He's able to break that chain. He's able to turn that thing around. Why? He's the Almighty God. He's a sovereign God. He didn't die after the apostles. He didn't leave His throne. He's ruling. He's reigning. Call on Him. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Hallelujah. Sovereignty, sovereignty, the sovereignty of God. You see, the early church understood this. No, this is early church, not just Old Testament. We hear sovereignty and we, we, get, we get confused. We, and no offense to anybody here, but we, 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 we think we're talking Baptist. No, 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 and he's sovereign even out of Baptist churches. They'd be big on that. And we could use a little bit of it. We could use a little bit of it in our theology. Amen? Some people got the devil being more sovereign than God. If you've listened to him, amen. That, no, no, no. He's not got the Lord sovereign. Amen. He's in control. Early church understood that. This is not just Old Testament. Early church understood that. In fact, it bolstered their faith when the heat was really hot. In challenging times, for example, after facing the first wave of persecution, threats and arrest, that early church, they prayed. If you remember the prayer, they prayed God shook the house. I mean, a little earthquake came. I mean, the whole place got shook. They all got filled again with the Holy Ghost. Remember that? Filled with boldness to go on and face. Wow. Now let's look at how they prayed. Find something interesting here. The Bible says they raised their voices together in prayer. I like that. Many types of prayer, I happen to like that. When you come out on Wednesdays, we're going to raise our voice together in prayer. Isn't that right? It's a Bible prayer. I know it's not the only one. It's one I like. And it's certainly one for groups. And they prayed, O Sovereign Lord. That's how they pray. O Sovereign Lord. In the face of their greatest threats and challenges, they appealed to the sovereignty of God, not their ability to believe or confess or all these other things. Let's look at this. Here we go. When they heard this, the threatenings, the ones that had arrested and crucified Jesus were now threatening them and imprisoned them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. It says they went to their own people. When you're in trouble, go to your own people. Don't run to the world. Run to the saints. Amen? Don't, don't, don't run to those that don't know God. Run to those that love God like you love God. It's only encouraging some faith. It says, but here, they raised their voices together. Look how they prayed. Sovereign Lord. They're going to address the Sovereign Lord. You made the heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In your devotional time, you can read the whole prayer. It's got a whole lot of good theology in it. But that word, Sovereign Lord, in the Greek it's the word, I'll probably butcher, butcher it, despotes. We get the word despot. Despot. That means someone that has absolute rule. We usually think of it in negative terms. But the word means a despot, someone that has absolute rule. In the Greek, that's the word. That's where we get our English word despot from, that word sovereign. 
sovereign. They're saying, God, you are the one that made everything. You are the one that is in control of everything. You have a purpose for everything. We look to you. We put our trust in you. Regardless of our enemies, our difficulties, our earthly thrones, we appeal to you for we know nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is beyond the reach and the arm of your intervention. To you we pray. And what we learn from this as they focus their faith on the sovereignty on the complete rule and dominion of the Lord our God, they are magnifying God, not the problem. Sometimes we can get so overwhelmed with the situation. We, I, I've, I've had times I've got to catch myself. I'm in there praying 15 minutes later. I'm more discouraged than when I came in. I said, hang on, something wrong here. Amen? You ever do that? Uh, confession is good for the soul. I'll just tell you my own story then. I'm in there praying and praying. And now, 15 minutes later, I got more, more discouraged than before I come in. I said, this can't be right. There's something wrong here. I knew it was wrong. Because the whole time I'm praying, my mind is just full of the problem. And this answer won't work and that won't work. And we tried that and it didn't work. And it's almost like God's got to interrupt my prayer so I could really pray. He said, stop focusing on that. That's why, a little break in the action, this is not in the sermon, but that's why sometimes before we give God our needs, Spend a little time praising Him. This praise naturally has to put our focus on Him and get our attention on declaring who He is and His greatness. And that helps us when it comes time to pray for something. If I've just spent some time giving Him praise and recognizing Him and looking to Him. Just a little, little, little tip for that. But Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. When we pray, let us focus on the greatness of the one we're praying to. For He is able. we say it again. He is able to move that mountain. He's able to still that storm. He's able to open up your Red Sea or He's able to walk you through the fiery trial that you're facing. He's able to move a mountain or He's able to give you the strength you need to climb over that mountain. But sometimes that's how it works. He's able to give you whatever you need to face whatever you got to face. I believe I read an article that probably... I believe it's from Tony Evans, and he, and he writes, you know, if it's raining outside, you may want to stop it, but you can't control the rain. However, you can't open an umbrella. An umbrella doesn't change the circumstances, but it changes you in the middle of the circumstances, and the wetness no longer controls you. And prayer is kind of like that, isn't it? But I don't know about you. I prayed for a lot of things, and, you know, if you've been around like most of us have, we've seen God do some mighty things. But then on the other hand, we a lot of times we just walked on through it. Amen? Unfortunately, the thing didn't stop. Unfortunately, the thing didn't change. But prayer bolstered us, didn't it? Prayer gave us the grace to go through. And we didn't backslide because of it. didn't get embittered because of it. We didn't get ugly because of it. Because prayer kept us like an umbrella of grace. That all, all around us, it was negative. The Lord kept us from being um, tangled by it and tarnished by it. Grace, he says, it's God's grace that's released us. We pray. It's like opening that umbrella during the rainy seasons of life. 
that we may overcome and have victory even when everything around us is wet. It, it, it keeps us. It's what carries us on. And again, you and I can testify. I know we can testify. There's been many times God has moved mountains and we can give prayer requests and testimonies how we prayed and God has healed people and God's worked in lives and God's done things that just blow our mind. But if we're honest, other times those things haven't come to fruition like we wanted, but God, as we sought Him, He gave us the grace and the strength to climb over it, to endure it. You're here today because you prayed. What shipwrecked other people's faith didn't shipwreck your faith because you prayed. What shattered other families, it didn't shatter your family because you prayed. What might have damaged and defiled other people's minds and psyches and emotions didn't do it to you. And you're a witness where you're still standing and you're still singing and you're still believing and you're still coming and you're still loving the Lord. So the power of prayer, recognizing our God is in control and He's sovereign, it gives me faith to believe He can move that mountain, He can still that storm, but if He chooses not to, He's able to envelop me and enable me and give me the grace to go through it and not be consumed by it or destroyed by it or crushed by it. Somebody say amen. amen. He's sovereign. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know He's sovereign? Complete control. He can do anything. Overrule anything. He's sovereign. Hallelujah. I got even better news than He's sovereign. You're a son. Whew. That means the sovereignty is going to help you out. Amen. If, if, you're, if your cousin's a millionaire, they ain't helping me out a bit. Isn't that right? Don't do nothing for me. Now helping me out. Glad for them. Not doing me a bit of good. Isn't that right? I got no relationship. It's wonderful to know God's sovereign and God's all powerful and His grace is sufficient. But if you're not a son or a daughter, not doing you a whole lot of good. But if you are, whoo, Lord, now you can tap into the goodness of this God. That's our next point. Notice now here He relies on His covenant relationship with the Lord. He prays, Oh Lord, my God. Oh Lord, my God. Can you say, He's my Savior. He's my Master. He's my King. He's my Shepherd. There's a key. It's not enough just to say that He's a Savior or He's the... Is He yours? Have you believed in your heart? Have you confessed with your mouth, Jesus is your Lord? Jesus is your Savior? Now if you can say that, that's worth more than gold. Being able to say those words is worth more than gold. Elijah's approach. Elijah approaches God by recognizing his special relationship to God. He's sovereign, he rules, and he reigns. But I can approach him with an expectation and confidence because I have a relationship with this God. I'm a son to this God. This is important because, listen, your relationship with a person greatly affects your approach and your expectation in prayer it affects our effectiveness in prayer. Now, Jesus stressed this in His teaching. Again, this is Jesus stressed this. He stressed the privilege of sonship. Really understanding, really believing that you have a good, faithful, heavenly Father. He taught us to pray that way, didn't He? I mean, the Lord's Prayer, the emphasis, it's reminding us of relationship. Matthew 6 and 9, He reminds us of this. Even this is how He taught us to pray. This is how you pray. Our Father. Our Father. Our Father. He's sovereign. Yet He's our Father. He's almighty. Yet He's our Father. 
He's got all power. We've got all privilege. He's our Father. He's sovereign. We're sons. Man, that's good news. Amen? Oh, I want you to catch this. This we can recognize. the And they understood this in the days of Jesus. They understood the sovereignty of God. He opened the Red Sea. And the Jewish people understood that. They were well versed in that. But Jesus, as He came and you read the Beatitudes, you read the Sermon on the Mount, He's trying to get across to them. But you've got a good Father. If He takes care of the birds and the flowers, He's going to take care of you. Amen? You don't have to, Just seek Him first and He'll take care of you. Just give Him His proper place and all these things will be added unto you. In my approach and in my expectation, relationship is the key. Common sense, right? Common sense. It's a whole lot easier for me to approach my dad than it is for you to approach my dad. And vice versa. Isn't that right? A whole lot easier. When you have relationship, it's very easy to approach and ask and expect. We can approach when we pray. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence, with a comfort, with a, with a, a liberty, with a freedom and assurance and expectation. Why? Because you're a son and you belong and your heavenly Father is more than willing to meet your need, to answer your cry. And to help you through. We connect these two beautiful things. It's not only that He's sovereign and He's almighty and He can raise the dead. He's your Father who is willing and He's accessible. My Father's always accessible to me. I don't have to get an appointment for Him. I don't have to stand on a five-hour line to wait to talk to Him. Relationship means everything. Oh, yeah. It's the relationship... Lesson, we know God has the power and the ability, but relationship helps me to believe that power and those resources will work for me, will benefit me. My level of confidence flows out of my level of relationship. Isn't that true? My level of confidence flows out of my level of relationship. The more you know someone, you're more apt to ask, you're more apt to expect. When someone is barely known, you're not, it's when you know the Lord. When you walk with the Lord, it's an easy thing to bring every need and every burden and to pray with an expectation. The God that's bailed me out as long as I can remember, He'll do it again. He'll do it again. He hadn't changed, hadn't gone weak, hadn't grown weary. Can you say amen? Amen. Principles for effective prayer we see here. Number one, He made a choice to pray. And we have to choose to pray. Don't let that be a last-ditch effort. But to really be effective in your ability to pray in crisis, you need to develop a prayer life in, in, in the calm of life, in the norm of life. So that when you have to appeal to the Lord, he, he's, not a, um, he's not a stranger. He's not someone that you haven't talked to since the last jam. Amen? But, but He's someone you talk to daily, you commune with. And, amen? But not only do we make the choice to pray, then we pray with fervency. I mean, serious needs demand some serious prayer. And just like there's different types of communication, there's different types of prayer. Because there's different needs in different situations. But when you've got to raise the dead, you better pray fervently. When you have a need that's really a heavy need, you've got to pray fervently. Number three, we recognize how God is sovereign and our God reigns. Let's appeal to Him. Let's focus on Him. Let's set our confidence in Him. But as we recognize He reigns, we can recognize we're sons. And we belong. And our relationship with Him ought to give us confidence in approaching Him and expecting the answer from Him. 
Number five, I want you to see the persevering aspect of his prayer. He prays and he cries out and he lays that boy down and he prays and three times he's praying. He refuses just to lay down a request and then go on about his business. Because remember, the promises of God aren't always enough. Those promises have to be watered by prayer. And they're often birthed by faith. They're um, battled for through spiritual warfare. They're brought to fulfillment with the I refuse to let go until you bless me type of tenacity of the believer. And it's not that I'm fighting God. I don't fight God. He's a good God. But there's other forces out there. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. Amen? Ephesians 6 and 10. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but there is spiritual forces and there's, there, there's um, anti-God forces that will try to hinder us from receiving and hinder us from praying through and holding on until that answer comes. In fact, Jesus taught us men ought always to pray and not faint and not give up. And then it went on to tell the story, you know the story of the, the widow and the unjust judge, right? He told the story about the power of persevering faith. Persevering prayer is prevailing prayer. Persevering prayer is prayer that God the Father honors and God the Father answers. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith? Faith like that woman in Luke 18 displayed. A faith that wouldn't give up. She was a widow in a day that had no one to help her, no one represent her. They wouldn't give her the time of day. But she had a tenacity to keep asking and coming and believing and not letting go until the promise came. And we can study throughout the Word of God where our faith has to have a persevering aspect to it. Not because I'm trying to wrestle with God's hand. I'm not trying. It's, it's, there's a different aspect here. There's an aspect of Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and dominions. There are spiritual forces of evil that try to hinder the answer. That don't want that loved one saved. They don't want you coming through to that breakthrough. And so there's that aspect that we have to persevere as something's going on in the spiritual realm that we don't really understand all completely. We can't always see, but the Bible clearly teaches it. So we have to persevere and have the willingness, I will not give up until I see the answer comes. I refuse to let go until I see the answer come. It's not enough just to say, well, God promised it maybe if may. No, no, no. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask. Jesus had asked that you might receive, seek, that you might find knocked and the door would be open. And in the Greek it means you keep coming, you keep asking, you keep seeking. The man or woman that perseveres in prayer has made a determination in their heart. I'm going to seek God about this. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to keep asking Him till the day I die. And if I see Him face to face, I'll ask Him then again. Oh God, don't let Him die without salvation. Oh God, don't let Him die without coming to know You. I'm going to pray, I'm going to believe, and I refuse to give up. Can you say amen? There's a person Perseverance of it. There was a great man of faith in the 1800s in Bristol, England. His name was George Mueller. He ran an orphanage of hundreds of orphans in the day where they didn't have government assistance and all that, and he had to pray it in and believe it in. And he writes this in his, one of his diaries. In November of 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on land, on sea, whatever the pressure of my engagement might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five were converted. 
I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them. Six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on for the other two. These two remained unconverted. Thirty-six years later, thirty-six years later, he wrote the other two sons of some of his dear friends were still not converted, but he wrote, but I hope in God and I pray on and I look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. If what you're praying for is the will of God, I encourage you in the name of the Lord Jesus, pray on, pray on. Is it God's will? Then you pray on. Is it, is it worth it? Then you fight on and you continue on and you believe on and you refuse to cease your crying out. You refuse to keep knocking on heaven's door. You refuse to let up with your intercessions. Men are always to pray and never give up. 1897, 52 years after he began praying, these two men were finally converted after Mueller had died. He understood what Jesus meant when He told the disciples, men should always pray and not faint or give up. Is it God's will? Then you keep praying. Is it something clearly in the Bible you know is of God? Then you keep believing and you keep asking and you refuse to let go. Somebody say Amen. I'll give you the two more. The last two we'll just summarize. Number six, Elijah's compassion. Elijah's compassion. He says in verse 20, this widow, this widow. And you hear his heart crying out, Oh God, she's been through so much. Oh God, don't let this come on this widow. It's all she has, that boy. She's gone through so much. This widow. Effective prayer is stirred by a real concern and a genuine caring for those we're praying for. In fact, Galatians 5 and 6 says, Faith works through love. You can't divorce faith and love. Faith is not just being loud and Faith has a compassion from God that is mingled with and stirred with. Faith worketh through love, Galatians 5 and 6. And that's how we pray. I can always remember those great gospel crusades and Brother Shambach take that altar call and hundreds would come to the Lord and he'd tell people, now let's pray for them. Pray like they're your son. Pray for them like they're your daughter. Stretch your hands this way. And that's when we pray for people. We've got to get our heart in the thing. There needs to be real love and compassion for others. Because that's how the Spirit moves. Real faith. It works through love. It is a product of love reaching out. And lastly, lastly, not only his compassion, notice his faith. He says, Lord, let this boy's life return. First time anyone gets raised from the dead. Wow, it was a daring prayer. Yet it was a definitive prayer. He prayed confidently. He prayed specifically. Well, they say some people pray around Robin Hood's barn a few times. Amen? They said a lot, but didn't say anything. Say something. Ask for something. Amen? Be specific. A definite and daring request that the Lord heard. And the Lord heard his cry and the boy's life returned. Mm. The Lord heard. Aren't you glad this morning that the Lord still hears? Aren't you glad that He still is alert to the cries of His people and He's willing to answer? Let's bring our needs to God. If you're here today and you don't have a pressing need, then bring the need of someone close to you to God. We're sons. 
and He's sovereign. Let us pray with a fervor and a faith, believing and expecting that God will and God shall answer our cry and meet our needs. Would you bow your hearts, please? Father, we love you so much. We love you so much. We set our faith fully in the fact that you rule and that you reign and nothing is too hard for you. And the things that might be overwhelming to us, they're easy for you. The things that are so complex and confusing to us, they're not complex to you at all. Father, in Jesus' name, touch your people with your power this morning. And let your faith stir in our hearts as we begin to ask you and we begin to believe you as we pray. Oh God, hear our cries and answer us. With your sovereign power, oh God, we pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd restore minds and you'd restore marriages by your mighty power. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would revive lies that have grown cool and cold. Revive those whose faith has gotten a little dormant and gotten a little shallow. Let them burn bright for your glory again. Let them have a fresh zeal and enthusiasm and devotion to the Lord once again. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd release your healing power right now. That, oh God, whoever's hearing me right now that is a physical need, Father, as they look to you, touch them. Father, as they look to you, heal them. Let that thing shrink till it's completely gone. Let your fire be imparted into their lives to bring healing and mending and disperse that affection and that affliction in Jesus' name. Father, for those that are thirsty, that are willing to lift up their hearts and say, Lord, fill me, Father, fill them right now. Refresh them right now. Renew their strength right now. Give them a new strength and a new confidence and a new certainty. As they walk out of here and they've got to face the coming week, Lord, give them a new confidence and a new faith to face it with a peace and with a rest and with an assurance that you go before them and you will work all things together for the good. Father, in the name of Jesus, Grant peace to those that are troubled. Let that turmoil stop in the name of Jesus. Let that restlessness in that mind at night stop in the name of Jesus. Let that easily agitated thing in the family cease in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are sovereign and we are sons. Therefore, we pray with expectation and we pray with a confidence and we pray with grateful hearts. Father God, thank you. Father God, thank you. We thank you, Father, for meeting our needs. We thank you, Father, for moving in our situations. We thank you, Father, for being faithful and kind and compassionate towards your children. Now, Father, as your people go about their week, Use each one of them in a special way. Give them divine appointments. Give them special conversations. And use your people to raise the dead, to bring hope to hurting lives, to bring words of wisdom to struggling lives, to bring the encouragement of the Lord that lifts people up to discourage lives. Father, use this group in a special way this week. Order their steps. Anoint them and flow through them. In Jesus' name. And everyone said,
Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll see you on Wednesday for prayer meeting. You're dismissed.